And that great church at Growth Track. Growth Track is where you and I discover more about First Norfolk, our family of faith. We believe that God has led you here uh, to attend or to be a part uh, on purpose. And that purpose is not merely to sit and soak in all the wonderful things that the church does, but for you to join in active membership with the family of God through First Norfolk. And the growth track is the way that we help you on that journey toward meaningful membership, where you discover how that you can do more than just attend and do more than just be a member, but what being a member looks like and the expectation and the core values of our church. So I want to encourage you on June the 10th, we're having a growth track, a one-day growth track uh, here at the church. I, I'd love for you to join me. You can register uh, through firstnorfolk.org slash growth track. You can go to the information desk. If you've been a member here, but you haven't been serving or really haven't found your place, come to growth track. If you're not yet a member of our church, be sure and come to growth track uh, and discover more about the core values of our church, the history of our church, why we exist, what we expect, how to share your faith, and, and where can you begin to serve. Uh, so uh, I'd love to see you on June the 10th, and it's going to be a wonderful time. Growth Track is for you, so you be sure and be here uh, for that. Turn in your copy of Scripture to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to be looking verses 21 through 43 together. I don't know what flavor of despair you have because despair comes in many flavors, um, as many flavors as you might imagine. Uh, now, I get a glimpse at the despair that uh, is found in our family of faith when you fill out your blue cards uh, each week and you ask for me to pray over certain things. Uh, many times, those prayers express a, a sense of despair in your own heart. And so despair in our church family comes in many flavors. It can be um, the fear of fulfilling the demands of your job or the fear of relationships at your school. It can be severe depression that you experience as a deep, dark, um, overwhelming sense of foreboding every day. Uh, it can be uh, the uh, diagnosis of of uh, uh, cancer uh, that is going to be proved or disproved by a biopsy. It can be uh, the surgery of a grandchild, uh, or it may be uh, struggling with an addiction that you just can't seem to kick. Each one of those, and so many more, uh, depict the different flavors of despair that you and I have. That doesn't that doesn't even begin to, to cover the despair that we have at uh, a rising cost of living and uh, a loss of job, or um, a marriage that is broken and you're not sure how it can be made whole, or a child that has gone off the deep end and you don't know how to bring him or her back. Um, there are so many places where despair uh, takes hold of our heart, even for followers of Jesus, maybe sometimes especially for followers of Jesus. Despair 
is a real deal. And, and as we've been looking at the Scripture in Mark's Gospel, one of the things that we have seen is that when we are connected to Jesus, we are blessed. He delivers good news that produces great joy for us. He is always on the lookout for our good and working toward our good. Uh, he dismantles fear. He dispels uh, evil, and defeats evil, and today we discover how he delivers us from despair. In Mark chapter 5, our passage this morning, uh, just to catch you up, in Mark chapter 4, the end, we've seen how Jesus going across the sea with his 12 disciples, a storm starts to rage, the disciples freak out, Jesus stands in the boat, and he is Lord over creation. He tames the wind and the wave. They land on the other side of the sea in the land of the Gadarenes in chapter 5, verses 1 through 20. And they're met by a man who is overwhelmed by evil, demon-possessed by a legion, a big, bad group of, of, of uh, devils. And, and yet Jesus takes them on, and he defeats evil. And then we see, because he's Lord even over the spiritual realm. And then today, today we see how that Jesus is Lord over creation, uh, Lord over death and disease. Look in beginning in verse 21, Matthew chapter 5, verse 21. Now, when Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, a great multitude gathered with him, and he, uh, and he was uh, along the seacoast. And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came uh, to Jesus, Jairus by his name, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet, and he begged Jesus earnestly, saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her that she may be healed and she will live. So Jesus went with Jairus, and a great multitude followed him and crowded around him. And a certain woman who had a, a, a disease for 12 years and who had suffered many things from many physicians. And she had spent all that she had and was no better and rather had grown worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came behind Jesus in the crowd and she touched the tassels of his garment. And she believed, if only I may touch his clothes, I will be made well. Immediately, the sickness was healed and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that power had gone out of him, turned around in the crowd and said, who touched me? And disciples said to Jesus, dude. Now, what you need to understand is sometimes, when the, anytime the disciples are correcting Jesus, it needs to begin with a dude. Irreverent, incomprehensible, but they thought that they knew a lot. So they said, dude, it's not in the original text. <laughs> they said, dude, <laughs> uh, uh, you see that the multitudes crowded around you, and yet you say, who touched me? And Jesus looked around, and he saw the woman who had done this thing. And the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing that he, uh, what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And Jesus said to her, verse 34 key, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Be healed of your sickness. While he was still speaking to the woman, some 
uh, came from the uh, ruler of the synagogue's house and said, your daughter is dead. Why are you bothering the teacher any further? And as soon as Jesus heard that word, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, key, don't be afraid. Only believe. Jesus permitted no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And he came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and he saw a tumult, uh, and those who wept and wailed loudly. And when he came in, he said to them, why are you making this commotion and weeping? This child is not dead, but sleeping. And they made fun of him. But Jesus put them all outside, and he took the father and the mother of the child and those who were with him, Peter, James, and John, and he entered where the child was lying, and he took the child by the hand and said to her, Talitha Kumi, which is translated, little girl, I say to you, arise. Immediately, the girl arose and walked, for she was 12 years of age, and they were overcome with great amazement. And he commanded them strictly that no one should know it and say that something should be given to her to eat. So here, a familiar story to many of us. If you've been in Sunday school or church, you've heard this story or uh, parallel versions in the other Gospels. And Jesus encounters a woman who had been sick for 12 years, spent all that she had to get better and I mean, spent all her money, spent all her retirement, spent all her livelihood to, to get better, and she had only gotten worse. And she saw that Jesus was her only hope. And a ruler of the synagogue, a, a, a leader and a leading businessman in the community of Capernaum, as well as leader in the church. His daughter was near death, and so he didn't know how to fix it, except there was this guy, Jesus. Both the woman and, the, and Jairus believed that Jesus was their only hope. And friends, here, here's what I, do you believe that? That this is more than just some story, some made-up myth concocted and placed in a book of literature, but this is real time, real life, real answer to real despair. See, I believe Jesus is the answer, whatever you're facing, whatever it is, whatever you will face, I believe Jesus is your only hope, because Jesus is the Lord who delivers us in our desperation. He is the Lord who delivers us in our desperation. When we are facing the despair of life, Jesus is the King of glory who comes to take us in our despair and deliver us from our desperation, in our desperation. He takes us out of it. It doesn't mean He erases the problem. It means He gives us Himself as a solution. Listen to that because that's important. Jesus doesn't always take away the problem, but he always gives himself as the solution. So today, what I want us to see, and I want you to begin thinking, what is the flavor of your despair? What is the name of it? If you had to write it down in a sentence or put it in a paragraph or maybe just one word, what would that despair be? See, sometimes despair overwhelms us. Despair being you're in a circumstance or a situation or a, a difficulty, and there is no 
answer that you've been able to come up with yet. You don't know where to turn, left or right, go straight, go back. You don't know. You're stuck. You're overwhelmed, and you don't know what to do. That's the story of Jairus. His daughter, 12 years old, is about to die. And he had nowhere else to turn. And he was urgent, and he was desperate. And he believed that Jesus was his only answer. A woman who had been sick for 12 years, who had gone to every physician, every, every worker of miracles that she could think of, she had spent all her money and all her livelihood, and it was gone. And now she was desperate. Now she was urgent. She believed that Jesus was her only answer. My friends, can I tell you, that's the best place to be. If we begin with this simple statement, Jesus is my only hope. He is the only answer. Then it puts us on a pathway where we can be set free from despair. Now, make no mistake, the message of this passage is that there may be a disease that no one else can fix, but Jesus can. The message of this passage is that even death itself cannot stand in the way of the power and the authority of Jesus. And Jesus, who did his work then, is the same Jesus who does his work now. I believe that Jesus can heal. And I believe that Jesus can rescue from death. I believe that this story is literal, not metaphorical. That it's not just a picture or a philosophy of how to trust Jesus. No, it speaks to us in our most desperate need, in our most dire circumstance. And Jesus is the Lord who comes and engages our circumstances and gives us freedom in the midst of those circumstances. I believe. Do you? See, today, we look at this story and just pick up the story of Jairus. Jairus comes to Jesus. He loses all dignity. He's a respected man in the city of Capernaum, and he loses all dignity, and he comes, and he bows before Jesus, and he begs Jesus. He says, please, I don't have anywhere else to turn. Jesus, lay your hands on my daughter, and she'll be healed. She'll be saved. She'll be rescued. And while Jesus is on his way to heal the daughter, a woman comes. And she believes, if I could just touch the tassel of his robe, that's enough. I'll be healed. And Jesus recognized that she had done exactly what she thought and that she was healed by touching the tassel of his robe and he was like who did that he encounters this woman and he calls her daughter not interloper not stranger daughter my beloved daughter acceptance tenderness daughter 
Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Now Jairus' daughter is dead, and perhaps the hopelessness of the woman who found hope in Jesus was kind of a precursor for Jairus as he gets word that his daughter is dead, but Jesus looks and says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Only believe. This morning, these two stories come together for us to understand how that Jesus can take you, whatever the flavor of despair that is haunting you, whatever the taste of that obstacle between you and the peace that God offers through faith in Christ, whatever it is, today I want you to know that you can be set free from despair. And in the midst of your desperation, He might not take away the problem, but he always gives himself as the solution. So today, what do we need to do out of this passage? You might think, oh my goodness, he's already getting to the points. Yes, I'm getting to the points, and you might think it's going to be short. It's not going to be a short message. (laughs) And I know that might like send some of y'all into despair, but remember, Jesus is your solution. So... What do we do? First, guys, you've got to come to Jesus with hope. Jairus had hope. He had this confident expect, expectation that what, uh, what uh, the problem was for him and for his daughter could be answered by Jesus. He had hope. The woman came to Jesus with hope. If I could only touch the tassel, I'll be made whole. She had hope. If you and I are going to meet the obstacle uh, of, uh, in our lives, the, the things that, that cause us despair, if we're going to have victory over those, we need to come to Jesus with a confident expectation that He is our answer. Not one option among many, but the only answer. So, See, Jesus makes a promise. If you're a follower of Jesus, you've been rescued by his grace. If you've placed your faith in him, you've seen his death on the cross as payment for your sin. The only way for you to get forgiveness and be made fit for God's family is what Jesus did for for you on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. And you've abandoned your sin and self, and you've placed all that you are in the arms of Jesus as your Lord and rescuer. And God, by his grace, has created in you a new heart and a new life, and he's born you again. I mean, he's made you brand new. You're a new creation in Christ Jesus. If that's your testimony, if that's who you are, then you are blessed because Jesus makes a promise. It's a promise lived out in Mark chapter 5, but it's a promise that's explicit in Matthew chapter 11. In Matthew chapter 11, Jesus is teaching about God the Father, and he says, hey, listen, uh, don't you know that God cares about you? He, He cares about you. He cares about you personally. And he says... My goodness, he's numbered all the hairs on your head. Easier task for some than it is for others. He has numbered all the hairs on your head. He knows you. He cares about you. And then he makes this promise. Jesus does. 
Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come to me, he says. Not come after me. And that's the call to discipleship. When he met uh, the fishermen uh, in Mark chapter, uh, Mark chapter 1, he said, come after me. It's, it, that's an invitation to follow him. Come after me. And that's a clarion call. And it's a clear call to follow him. And discipleship is what he said to us when he said, come into my family. Come after me. Follow me. But that's not what he says here. And I believe the words matter. He doesn't say, come after me. He says, do te pros me, come to me. Come face to face with me. It's a call not merely to discipleship. It's a call to intimacy. He's saying, come to me. Here I am. I'm ready to help. Here I am. I care. I know the numbers of the hairs on your head. I care about you. Come to me. Come to me if you're weary and worn out from life's load. And you don't know what to do if the, if the load is so heavy that you're, brink, uh, you're on the brink of despair. Come to me. And I'll give you rest. The term rest in Matthew 28, 11, 28 is, is a, a big term in the original language of the New Testament. It's a, it's a big term. It, it covers a wide range of meaning. It means, come to me and I will refresh your soul. Come to me and I will give you peace. Come to me and I will give you strength. Come to me and I will rescue you. Come to me and I will give you rest. It's the picture. It is the picture that we find in Psalm 23 where Jesus is pictured and he says, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores, refreshes my soul. Look, you want rest? You want strength, you want peace, you want hope, you want joy. Then you got to come to Jesus knowing He is your answer. You got to come to Jesus knowing He is the answer. You look at that moment, that flavor of despair in your life, whatever the name, whatever the sentence, whatever the paragraph that depicts your despair, understand that for you to find rest, you've got. To get to Jesus. You've got to come to him and cry out. And it's like Jairus and like the woman. You know what they did? They got down on their knees in front of Jesus and said, oh Lord, please, oh please, will you help me? You're my only hope. I'm not going to make it without you. And Jesus opens his arm. He says, yeah, yes, I'll give you rest. If we're going to be free from despair, we need to come to Jesus with hope. If we're going to be free from despair, we need to cling to Jesus by faith. We've got to cling to Jesus by faith. Um, Jairus and the woman could not have been any different in the culture of the first century Capernaum. Completely and totally different. But both of them had a deep need that only Jesus could answer. 
and both of them had deep urgency that Jesus was their only hope. And both of them believed, (laughs) if I can just get to Jesus, he's going to make it all right. Don't get too theological with this. Keep it simple. If I can just get to Jesus and hang on to Jesus, it's going to be all right. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know if the disease will go away. I don't know if death will be uh, diverted. I don't know what's going to happen. But if I can just get to Jesus and take hold of Jesus and not let go of Jesus, it's going to be all right. He said to the woman, he said, now go in peace. Go in peace. That's not just a valediction for the moment. It's not just a goodbye. It is a statement, a declaration of who she is now. She's been made whole. Well-being of body, well-being of soul. This is what happens when we get to Jesus and cling to him. He said, he said to Jairus, he said, I know they're saying she's dead. Don't be afraid. Can you imagine Jesus looking at you and saying, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Put your trust in me. There is a tenacious faith that we must have in the face of of those dreary colors and flavors of despair. It's a tenacious faith that really does believe Jesus. Jesus is where I need to get because when I'm in the arms of Jesus, it's going to be okay. It's a constant belief. It's a consistent belief. It is a persistent belief. It's an enduring belief. It's an enduring trust that He is the Lord of creation who loves us. And we'll work the best for us. He might not solve the problem, but he becomes our solution. And we cling to him. We take hold the hem of his garment. We don't let go. We take hold the hem of his garment. And we don't let go. And Jesus looks at us and he says, go in peace. And then we have our doubts, and doubts will come. Circumstances can be stinky so bad, overwhelming so bad, that that we have our doubts. But Jesus looks at us, and he says, now, don't be afraid. I've got this. Don't be afraid. I've got you. Just trust me. And we should trust him. The disciples should have trusted him. The disciples should have known. They had seen him tame the wind and the wave. They had seen him chase away the devil. They had seen him do mighty miracles. And now, in the face of disease, he wins. In the face of death, they should have known. He's got this. You should have known. I should know. I should know because, my goodness, I was dead in my sin and my trespass, in which I once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, and now works among the sons of disobedience, among whom I once also conducted myself in the lust of the flesh and of the mind. And I was, by nature, a child of wrath, just as the others, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved me, made me alive together in Christ Jesus. By grace, I've been saved. 
And he seated me together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I'm no longer the same. I once was dead, but now I live because Jesus made it happen. Friends, when when we take hold of Jesus, it's going to be okay. No matter the source of your despair, take hold of Jesus, it's going to be okay. He might not take away the problem, but he always is the solution. John chapter 6, he says, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me, whoever believes in me, will never hunger and never thirst again. Cling to Jesus because he is the source, the only source who meets us at our deepest of needs. Cling to Jesus. In John chapter 8, verse 12, he said, I am the light of the world. He who believes in me will not walk in darkness, but have the light that life gives. (laughs) He says to you and to me, cling to me. When we cling to Jesus, we walk no longer in the deep darkness, but now we walk in the light. When they were asking about songs for senior, senior songs, graduate songs, and they asked me what my graduating song was. And I told them, we are the world. If you know, you know. <laughs> there was another song that, that came in runner-up, and it was Prince's uh, Purple Rain. If you know, you know. But one of my favorite songs in my high school days, Katrina in the Waves. I'm walking on sunshine. Oh, I'm walking on sunshine. When we cling to Jesus, no matter the darkness that swirls around us, when we cling to Jesus, we are walking in the light that His life brings. We are walking in sunshine. Cling to Jesus. In John chapter 11, 25 and 26, we cling to Jesus in the face of death. Jesus goes to his friend's home in Bethany, just outside of Jerusalem. He goes into that home and he and he's met by Mary and Martha, two of his friends. Their brother Lazarus, one of Jesus' best friends, is dead. In John chapter 11, 25 and 26, Martha says, oh, Jesus, if you had only been here, our brother would have lived. And and Jesus is like, man, when will they learn? He looks at Mary and Martha and he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will never die. Whoever lives and believes in me will never, ever die. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Do you believe this? When we cling to Jesus, even death itself is swallowed up in the life that he offers us by his grace. So cling to Jesus. Come to Jesus with hope. Oh man, the boogeyman that causes despair in your life may be as big as 
a monster as you have ever imagined. But make no mistake, Jesus is the solution. And He'll lead you through the despair and give you hope. Come to Jesus with hope. Come to Jesus by faith. Take hold of Him and and don't let go. I believe that if I can just get close to Jesus, He'll give me the rest. He'll give me the victory. He'll give me the rescue. He might not get rid of the problem, but He will be the solution, and I will have all that I need. When I take hold of Jesus, all is well. So, to end this time of worship together, not to end it, but to kind of put an exclamation point on it. In a minute, I'm going to ask all our deacons and all our ministers to come up here to the front. And I'm going to invite you, I'm going to invite you to have that kind of bold, audacious act like Jairus or the woman. To get up from where you are and come and say to one of our deacons or one of our ministers and say, I, I, I need, I need for Jesus to be the solution in my despair. And you can name it or you don't have to name it, but you just ask, will you pray for me? And you let us pray over you. Whatever, whatever the name, whatever the sentence, whatever the paragraph of your despair, I'm going to invite you to be bold, to get up from where you are and come and ask our spiritual leaders to pray over you. And you might say, well, what if I'm, you know, Eric, that's good, you know, if, if I've got, you know, uh, sorrow in my heart, but nine o'clock hour one of our members who has brain cancer came and asked for prayer. Do you believe, Eric, do you believe that Jesus can heal him? Absolutely. The Bible tells us that we are to come before the elders, the spiritual leaders of the church, and let them pray over us so that we might be healed. Jesus may not take the problem away, but he will be the solution in that moment. So yes, I believe we should pray for healing. Specific, intentional. And you might say, well, our preacher's got Pentecostal. Just hold on. You haven't seen nothing yet. I believe we we need to pray for each other. So whatever it is, whether it's a marriage or a family member or a sickness or a disease or an emotion or an addiction, whatever it is, whatever the name that is causing despair, come to the spiritual leaders of the church and say, will you pray for me? Will you pray for me? Please be bold and audacious and let them pray for you. If you're just not up to that, and I get it, I do, I want you to take that blue card, and I want you to write down the name of the despair or the sentence 
or the paragraph that describes the despair. I want you to write it down on that card, and I want you to bring it and lay it here at the altar as if you were putting it before the feet of Jesus, saying, I'm laying it here with you. You are my solution. There is no other. And I'll take those requests, and I'll pray over you this week, but, but you bring those requests before the Lord. Look, let's ask God to do mighty and miraculous things, things that we can't even imagine. Uh, believe that He can do them through Christ by the power of His Spirit. Come on, church. Let's see God do what only God can do. Let's ask him for it. Let's begin in your world and in mine, your situation and mine, your despair and in mine.